0: Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I am excited to talk to you about the protection and power of God. We've been going through spiritual lessons from the life of Corey Ten Boom, and this message today was inspired by a story from one of her books. Before I get into that, I wanted to remind you that there's only about one week left to register for our 2022 Ellerslie online program. This is an amazing way to supercharge your spiritual life and draw closer to Jesus Christ as you head into 2022. It's five weeks of really powerful online discipleship, daily teaching videos from Eric, myself, and our team, and a lot of other really spiritually rich bonuses in this course. You'll have access to the material all the way through the end of July, so you can completely go at your own pace. It's wonderful for couples or for families to go through together. What incredible catalyst for life-changing discipleship. So especially if you can't make it out to Colorado this year for one of our in-person training programs, I really encourage you to take advantage of the Ellerslie online program. We only offer it once a year and it's available by a donation of any amount. So we really don't want money to stand in the way of your ability to gain this powerful truth. Just go to ellerslie.com and click on Ellerslie online to learn more how you can register or you can just click the link in the description of this podcast. I really hope to see you In that program, let's dive into the power, the protection of God, taking God at his word and learning to make him our refuge in times of fear, in times of danger, and in times of trouble. That is not really our natural human default. What we want to do is look to a human solution. We oftentimes sort of put God on the back burner during times of stress, times when we feel threatened, times when we're fearful. And yet the power of God is so much greater than these human solutions we often run to. It doesn't mean that God doesn't ever work through human solutions, but so many of us don't even remember to make God our first turn when we're in need of protection. There's a really old-timey quote from a man named William Bridge written in Old English, but it's so powerful, and I think it's a really great description of where a lot of us are at today. There is a faith whereby a man doth betake himself unto God for shelter and for protection as to his habitation. When other men do run one this way and another that way to their hiding places in the time of plague, for a man then to betake himself to God as to his habitation, I think this is the faith here spoken of in the 91st Psalm. Now, the 91st Psalm is, if you're not familiar with it, is a really powerful promise about dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty and being covered with His protection, even though thousands or tens of thousands around us may be falling prey to danger, to threats, to violence, or to disease. We have the power and the protection of God. And I love that quote from William Bridge, even though it's a little bit hard to understand because it's so much in the old school English. But I love how he says those around us may run this way and that way during times of stress and trial and plague, we can run to the most high God. I wanted to share a few stories with you from Christian history, probably some of the most powerful stories that have really made an impact upon me when it comes to trusting in the protection of God. Now, the last few months for me have been really interesting because I feel that The enemy has really tried to hit me with physical attacks and spiritual attacks. And God keeps bringing me back to that understanding of his supernatural protection and challenging me to say no, to resist the enemy's attacks, and to constantly go back to those promises of God's protection. I am beginning to see some powerful results of standing in the protection of God. Sometimes it's one of those things where it's a battle and you have to constantly stand your ground until the enemy backs off. And that's really what I've been walking through the past few months. But as I have been wrestling through these things in a a personal way, God's reminded me of some of these stories that have made an impact on me for so many years. And the first one is from Darlene Dibler's life. I've talked a lot about her on this podcast. She was an American missionary who was in Indonesia during the Second World War. And while she was there, the Japanese invaded their island and completely took control of the country. Her husband was taken away to a men's concentration camp, and she was placed under house arrest with another single woman missionary and an older couple, a missionary couple. They were told by the Japanese that if they left that house, they would be shot on sight and they didn't have a way to get food or supplies. So it was really a difficult situation. They had no way to protect themselves. And there were a lot of local people who were taking advantage of the situation that so many people were vulnerable without protection. And there were these bandits that would dress all in black and cover their faces and have these long, sharp knives. And they would break into people's houses, especially foreigners' houses who were under house arrest. They would break in in the middle of the night and steal things, and they were ready to commit violence on anyone who tried to stand in their way. And one night, Darlene was awakened by a noise in the middle of the night. She went; she thought it was rats in their house because they did have a house that was infested with rats. She went down and found one of these bandits just running through the house, and she doesn't know why she did this. She said in her message, but she chased him away, and for some reason, he ran away and ran down the hill and, and disappeared And then she thought, well, that was really foolish. He had a huge knife and I had no weapons. Why did I run after him? But somehow it startled him enough that he ran away. But they wondered if more bandits would come back the next night because he had already been in the house and he knew they didn't have protection. He knew there were only two single or two individual women there and an older couple. And yet they never came back. And after the war, she actually found one of these bandits who had transformed his life and changed his life in the years between that break in and the end of the war. And she was able to talk to them. And she said, were you the one who broke into our house that night and tried to steal things? And he sort of hung his head and said, yes, that was me. And the reason we did that is because we were struggling, we needed to survive as well during that time when the Japanese had overtaken the country. And she said, well, you knew that we were just helpless and vulnerable in that house. Why did you not come back after that first night? And he looked at her in surprise and said, well, We did come back, but you had all of those huge people in white standing around the house. There was no way we were going to try try to break in with those huge people in white there. And she was reminded of the verse, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. What an amazing story. It just gives me goosebumps to think about. There were angels around that house. When they felt helpless, when they felt vulnerable, they were still abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. They were still in the protection and the power of God. There's another really amazing story from Corrie ten Boom's life, and this is what kind of inspired this message in the first place. Before she started helping Jews and before she went away to the concentration camp, the Germans had just started to invade Holland, which was her country. And she was in the middle of the city living in a home with her sister and her father, and they had bombs going off all around them. So if you can just imagine laying in your bed at night and knowing that there are bombs going off in your city, some right down the road from you, not knowing who's being hurt, who's being killed, which buildings are being destroyed and trying to sleep through that. And that's the scenario that she found herself in. And the bombs were so loud and so disturbing that she finally got up and went down to the kitchen this one night. And her sister was already in the kitchen. She also couldn't sleep. They made a cup of tea and read their Bible and prayed. And when Corey went upstairs to go to bed again to try to go back to sleep, she saw on her pillow right where she had been laying. There were the the fragments of a bomb that had come through her window and landed, the shrapnel from it had landed on her pillow. If she had stayed in her bed, she certainly would have been killed or seriously injured. And she told her sister about it. And she said, if I hadn't come down to make tea right at that time, I might not be here anymore. And Betsy, her sister, said to her, there are no ifs in God's kingdom. So true. So powerful. God knew exactly the moment to nudge Corey to get up out of that bed to protect her. Another story that stands out to me is from Gladys Aylward's life. She was the woman who went to China and poured out her life there for the country of China. She went through quite a lot just to get over to China as a missionary. She wasn't sent by any missionary society. She didn't really have the money. She had to go by a very dangerous route on a railroad instead of the normal route to go to China. And she was captured by the Russians during her journey to China and held hostage in this hotel. They wanted to keep her in their country because they saw her passport where it said missionary and they thought it said machinist. So they felt like she would be a great asset to them in their communist plans. And so they had held her captive, took away her papers. She had no way to get out of there. And I just can't imagine, or I can't imagine, but I can try to imagine just being a young single woman, knowing nobody, not speaking the language, not really having any money, your papers taken away, and you're in this Russian hotel, and they're saying you can't leave this country. What would you do? I mean, in those days, there weren't cell phones. There were no authorities to go to. There there was nothing to do but cry out for the power and the protection of God. And that's exactly what she did. And she was sitting in her room praying about what to do. And the owner of the hotel was drunk. He tried to break into her hotel room and attack her. And yet he was not able to get across the threshold of the doorway because as he broke into that room, she's this little teeny woman, I think maybe barely five feet tall. He's this huge Russian drunk man with a very evil agenda. And he says, I'm coming in. I can do whatever I want. This is my hotel. And she said to him, God will protect me. You cannot touch me. And she commanded him to leave. He was so startled. He was so baffled. And possibly the 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 power of God's pushing him back. Who knows what made him do this? But we know that it was because of her faith. We know that it was because of God's protection. He turned and he walked away and he never entered that room again. And she was able to supernaturally, miraculously, barely get out of the country of Russia on this Japanese ship. And I mean, she had to run for her life and make a flying leap onto the ship just to get out of the country. But again, the protection of God was so evident. And obviously there was a spiritual battle over her getting to China, but there was also this incredible supernatural protection of God. There's another really amazing story from a time when a plague was taking over London. And this was way back, probably in the mid-1800s. And there was a man named Lord Craven. He was a wealthy man, and it says that his house was in that part of town called the Craven Buildings during a time when a terrible plague, a terrible epidemic broke out in London. And back then, the epidemics were really horrible because people were dying left and right. And I mean, you could even see people, dead people as you went down the road. So it was just this really devastating, traumatic, horrible time. And as the plague began to grow, his lordship, this is an excerpt from a historical account of this, his lordship to avoid the danger resolved to go to his seat in the country, meaning he had a country home and he was going to escape to it to get away from the germs and the disease. His coach and six were ready at the door. That means his His uh, coach with six horses, his baggage was put up and all things in readiness for the journey. As he was walking through his hall with his hat on, his cane under his arm and putting on his gloves in order to step into his carriage, he overheard one of his servants who served him saying to another servant, I suppose by my Lord's quitting London to avoid the plague that his God lives in the country and not in town. That servant said this in the simplicity of his heart, really believing in a plurality of God's. But that speech, however, stuck Lord Craven very sensibly and made him pause. My God thought he lives everywhere and can preserve me in town as well as in the country. I will even stay where I am. Those words of the servant have now preached to me a very useful sermon. Lord, pardon this unbelief and that distrust of thy providence, which made me think of running from thy hand. He immediately ordered his horses to be taken from the coach, the baggage to be taken in. He continued in London, was remarkably useful among his sick neighbors, and never caught the infection. Wow to choose to stay where the danger is and completely trust in the protection of God is truly amazing. Reese Howells has a similar story. When he was in Africa, a horrible plague broke out and he prayed over the property where his mission home was. And he said, anyone who comes onto this property will not be struck with the plague. He said that in faith. He believed in the protection of God. There is a boundary of the blood of Jesus around this property. And so all of these local people came onto his property and no one, who was there got the plague. Lillian Trasher, a missionary to Egypt, the woman who started the first Christian orphanage in Egypt, had a a season when cholera was breaking out all over the country And this was a really scary epidemic because she had an orphanage of several hundred children. It was five or six hundred children that she was responsible for. And with cholera at that time, you could be feeling fine in the morning and be dead by the afternoon. That was how violent, how quick, how intense the plague was. So there was really no way to protect yourself at all other than completely be isolated from anyone in the outside world. And so she did not really want to allow people to come and go from her orphanage because she thought, you know, there's no way if one child in this orphanage gets cholera, it will spread like wildfire because I cannot isolate. We we're in two, we have too many of us in a small space. I can't isolate the children who get sick. And one day, Uh, A father with his two sons, very poor, had walked miles and miles to get to the orphanage, and she had never turned a child away, but she originally told them that they couldn't come because of the risk of the cholera spreading into her orphanage. And then she felt so burdened that she shouldn't be turning anyone away because this was God's orphanage and she needed to rely on the protection of God. So she allowed them to come in and she said, Lord, is this the right decision? And one of the little boys actually started showing cholera symptoms that evening, and he was dead within a few hours. And she thought, okay, this was a terrible decision. One of these children has died. Now it's been spread to all of the children. But she went to Psalm 91 and she said, Lord, I'm going to stand on the promise of your protection. This one little boy who just came into the orphanage has died from this disease, but I'm going to stand in faith that not one more person in this orphanage will be touched. And incredibly, against all the laws of nature, not one other child, not one other worker in that orphanage was touched with cholera, which was one of the most contagious diseases of that time. I remember hearing about my great-grandmother. She lived in the panhandle of Texas during the Great Depression, and she had a large family, quite a number of children, and they lived on a farm in a rural community, and there were people around them all the time who were getting sick with diseases that they were supposed to quarantine for. So you would have like a sign on the door, nobody come in this house, they have diphtheria or they have cholera or they have this or that. There were a lot of diseases in that time in that area. And of course, it's the Great Depression. So a lot of people were too poor to have medicine or medical care. And my great grandmother would go to these homes because she was a strong Christian and she would serve them. She would bring them food. She would help care for their children when they were sick. And people said to her, you know, this is a really foolish thing for you to do because you're going home to your family and you have six or seven children at home. You could easily spread diseases to them. She did two things when she would go into the house of someone who was quarantined with a disease she would pray and she would say I'm standing in the protection of God and she would wash her hands with lye soap those were the two things she did she never got sick and none of her children ever got sick and again what an incredible demonstration of the power and the protection of God Charles Spurgeon wrote this, A German physician was wont to speak of the 91st Psalm as the best preservative in times of cholera, and in truth, it is a heavenly medicine against plague and pest. He who can live in its spirit will be fearless, even if London should once again become a laser house and the grave be gorged with carcasses. Wow, so amazing and so powerful during a time when probably a lot of the people that he was preaching to were fearful of a plague coming to London. In Eric's sermon called We Will Not Fear, which is, is a sermon he gave a number of years ago at Ellerslie, he quotes a man named Bellarmine, who's a historian, and he talks about a stag who roamed about during the time of Caesar. And it says, we read of a stag that roamed about in the greatest security by reason of it's having a label on its neck, touch me not, I belong to Caesar. So here was a, a stag that belonged to Caesar. And so nobody was allowed to hunt him and kill him. And then the quote goes on to say, thus, the true servants of God are always safe, even among lions, bears, serpents, fire, water, thunder, and tempests for all creatures know and reverence the shadow of God. Imagine if you had that statement resounding in your soul, touch me not, I belong to Jesus. That's what Gladys Aylward stood in when that man was not allowed to cross the threshold of her door. That's what Reese Howells stood in when he said, no one on this property will be touched with the plague. Now, this does not mean that I believe in a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. There has been a warping and a twisting of these promises in Scripture by certain people who have made it seem like we should never be hurt or sick or have difficulty in this life, which obviously is not a biblical concept either, because it's obvious that the Christian life is a narrow and rocky way and there are difficulties and trials and hardships that God asks us to walk through. We can be touched in this life by sickness and by injury, and a lot of times God will even use those things for a greater glory, and he'll take what the enemy may have meant for evil in our life and turn it for good. For example, there's an incredible story in one of Corey ten Boom's books about a woman who was in a communist country, and she was completely debilitated because of a disease, but she only had one finger that would work. And with that one finger, she translated scripture, Christian books, and smugg- they smuggled them into that country. Nobody ever paid any attention to her her as a threat because all of those books were illegal. The Bible was illegal, but she could do it because everyone looked at her as helpless. Yet God used her condition for his glory. She was able to live an incredible life of being poured out for him. The key is not that we'll never be touched physically, but that the enemy cannot just have his way with us and hinder us from the calling of God on our lives when we stand in God's promises. I remember a season in my life early in our ministry when I would always get sick every time I was supposed to speak or do any kind of ministry, and it was really becoming a hindrance to my ability to do what I knew God had called me to do. And in that situation, Eric and I began to recognize this isn't just something we should pray to have a good attitude through. This is something we need to resist because it's hindering us from the calling of God. Just like Gladys Aylward knew, she was meant to go to China. and. And there was nothing in Russia that could harm or hinder her if she remained in the protection of God. Eric and I began to pray in this situation where I was constantly getting sick every time I would step out in ministry, that God would put a special protection over me and we began to resist the attacks of the enemy. Our prayer is that I would be made strong to be poured out for the glory of God. Not that I would avoid all discomfort or difficulty, but that I would have what I needed to live out the calling of God on my life. And we saw an incredible turn. And now that is not an area where Satan can attack me anymore. I don't get sick right when I'm stepping out to do ministry because that's ground that we have gained spiritually. We know to resist, proactively resist Satan's attacks, and we stand in the promises of God. If he's called us to this, he'll give us the strength to do this. It's not that I've never been sick or had physical issues since that time, but I have learned that the enemy cannot use those things to hinder me from God's calling. And whenever an attack comes that is trying to hinder me from God's calling, I can rest in the promises of God and I can resist the enemy in the power of Jesus name. When the enemy tries to hinder me, I call on God for his protection and it's been such a game changer in my life. Psalm 511 says, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. God spreads his protection over us when we take refuge in him. During this time when so many around us are controlled by fear and self-protection, my challenge to each of us is that we freshly remember the amazing power and protection of God. And we turn to him first and foremost. We don't look at his protection as something that doesn't apply to us. We don't look at it as, well, it's not really as good as a, a solution I could come up with for myself. We recognize that God is our refuge. It says in 2 Chronicles sixteen nine: the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal towards him. What an important reminder for us today. Will we be among those whose heart is loyal towards him, ready to take refuge in the one who spreads his protection over us, ready to abide in the shadow of the Almighty? I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to build a Christ-centered life, please visit us at setapartgirl.com. There are many, many resources for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.